Well, good morning. It is so great to have you with us on this uh, first Sunday of August. Thank you for joining us today at River Oaks. Before we begin the message, there are three things I'd like to note. The first one has to do with the Wednesday night service coming up in a couple of weeks on Wednesday the 16th. We're going to have one of our prayer and praise services with a focus on appreciation for our teachers. And as part of that, we are collecting some items that have been identified as items that our teachers often have to spend their, their own money on. And uh, so this is a little different from collections we've done in the past, backpacks or school supplies for the kids. This is to be provided to uh, teachers at several schools in our immediate area. So if you'd like to participate in that, you'll see the details there. And then join us at 6.30 on Wednesday the 16th. Now, two nights later, on Friday night, the 18th, our uh, Kids Rock and Noah's Ark Ministries are sponsoring the ice cream movie event you see on the screen. Our kids get to know each other in Kids Rock and Noah's Ark. This is a chance for parents to get to know each other as well. So uh, we call this a connection event. We do these from time to time. And uh, please, if you'd like to come, do register online. That would be a big, big help to us. The third thing is just to let you know that today we will celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper. That's what these tables up front in front of the stage are all about. And uh, as is our custom, after uh, serving communion, we'll invite those who might have a need for prayer to come forward while we're continuing the worship to one of these front rows, and we have folks who are prepared to pray for you. So just keep that in mind as we go through the service, and uh, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a bit. Today we're beginning to look at a chapter of the Bible that I think is filled with some of the most practical application for life as a follower of Jesus anywhere in the scripture. It's Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 falls at a transition point in the book of Romans. The book of Romans consists of 16 chapters. In chapters 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul is laying out perhaps the most thorough explanation of what we call the gospel in all the Bible. And at the end of this 11-chapter section, he transitions with chapter 12 into practical application, how to live out the gospel, how to live as a follower of Jesus. And we're going to be looking at some themes in this 12th chapter for life as a follower of Jesus this month, beginning uh, with the very end of chapter 11. The words you'll see on the screen come as the Apostle Paul is celebrating what God has done through Jesus, what he's been talking about for 11 chapters in this great book, what he's been writing about, rather, how God has provided salvation through Jesus, not just for Jewish people, but also for the Gentiles. And in reflecting on that, the Apostle Paul writes these words. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. 
And now we transition to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We'll focus on these today. And let me just say this. I want to strongly, strongly encourage you during the month of August to memorize these two verses. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I want to strongly encourage you to memorize these verses in the month of August. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now notice on the screen the word, therefore. When you encounter the word therefore, of course, you want to look carefully to note what precedes it. It's reflecting back on something that has just been said. So let's look back for a moment at the last verse of Romans chapter 11, verse 36. You'll see it on the screen. Uh, advance ahead, if you would. There you go. A couple slides. For from him and through him... And to him are all things. Think carefully about those words. They're incredibly important. They're talking about God. From him, through him, to him are all things. To him be glory forever. They're telling us, for one, that we exist because and only because God created us. We live because and only because God sustains us. Your very next breath is a gift from God. The Bible says that Jesus upholds even the universe by the word of his power. He upholds our lives by his power. Thirdly, we're called to live to him. And I think this means both in fellowship with him and for his glory. When the writer says we're called to live to him, I think it implies a degree of accountability. And the Apostle Paul will actually say that a couple chapters later when he says each of us will give an account of himself to God. Why? Because from him, through him, to him are all things. Now, as we continue in this great chapter and transition into these two key verses, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, we're going to see that it's in light of God's mercies that we are called to do three things. Apostle Paul writes again, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The greatest motivation for obeying God, for living for God, for becoming more like Jesus, for life change, to be conformed to his image. The greatest motivation for all of this is not to try to earn acceptance with God. The teaching the Apostle Paul's given in this great book of Romans is that Jesus has already done that. He has done what we could not do. He bore the judgment for our sin himself so that through our faith in him, We're accepted by God, even considered righteous by God. And in light of these mercies, he then calls us to live for him. So the motivation for living a holy 
godly, God-honoring life is not try to, get to try to be accepted with God. Jesus has already secured that. It's gratitude for his mercy. Let me just ask you this morning, do you know in your heart of hearts that God has poured his mercy out on you and you have received it? That God has poured his grace out on you and you have received it? That God loves you more than you can love yourself and you've received that love? When you have, when you know that, it is the greatest possible motivation to want to live for his honor and for his glory. And so the Apostle Paul says, in light of God's mercy, I call you, I challenge you to do three things it'll give us. Number one is to present your body, your whole being to God. We often talk in the church about giving your heart to the Lord, giving your heart to Jesus. But the Bible calls for more. The Bible calls for us to give the entirety of our being, including our bodies to him. Our bodies are especially important to God. Nothing, I think, could, could tell us more about God's endorsement of the importance of our bodies than these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul writes, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It's not just your heart or soul that were bought by Christ. Your bodies were too. And so he's saying now glorify God in your body. That, he says, is your spiritual worship. Or we could say reasonable worship. That's what God calls us to. In light of his mercy, all of our being is his. Our spirit, our body, and as he's going to talk about in just a moment, our mind as well. Secondly, he writes, don't be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now when the Apostle Paul writes about not being conformed to the world, <clears throat> he's referring to the pull of this present age in which we live, which is a pull away from God and away from his will. He's using the word in the same sense that he uses it when he writes the Corinthians and he says, that Satan is the God of this world. He's referring to this age and the prevailing desires and lusts and culture that surround the believer and pull us toward it and away from God. And he's saying, do not be conformed to this world. Be different. Throughout the Bible, we see the reality that God has always called his people to be different. It was that way in the Old Testament with the Israelites. God called them to be set apart, distinct, different from the Canaanite culture around them where people worshipped idols. When Jesus called his disciples, he called them to be different. He said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're to take my light out into a world that is dark without my presence. 
The Apostle Peter, likewise, writing to the church, said, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. He even uses the word in one translation, a peculiar people, a people set apart to God, called out by God to be different from this world and to take God's love and grace and glory into this world. So God has always called his people to be separate, to be apart. But we know, because we live in this world, that we live in a tension. A tension between living for the will of God and being pulled by the spirit of this world around us to changing morals and views and mindsets. And so believers live in this tension. The world has a pull. And Paul says you're not to be conformed to it. Any of you been down to the beach this summer, coast of North or South Carolina? I bet a lot of you have or will uh, before the summer's out because we've got incredible beaches in North and South Carolina. And maybe you've been out in the water 30, 35 feet. I've often been out in the ocean with uh, when our kids especially were younger or with our nieces and nephews. And uh, you're, you're floating out there maybe on uh, some styrofoam boards or something, riding some waves, maybe your chest high. And you look back where, where the rest of your group is, and maybe you've left a couple of chairs and towels there. And as you're out in the water, 15 minutes later, you look back and you no longer see those chairs right behind you. You've, you've been pulled down the beach 30, 40 feet because there's an undertow, there's a current. And you say to the kids you're with, you know, we've we got to walk back. We've drifted 30, 40 feet from where we were. So you can get out of the water and you can walk up the beach with no problem. Or you can stay in that chest high water and you can walk against the current. And it takes a deliberate effort to make your way back to where you were. That pull, that current, that undertow is much like the prevailing spirit of this world in which we live. Ways of viewing things. Ways of thinking about things, worldview, uh, views of morality. These things in our world will constantly be changing, but God and his will and his word and his way are unchanging. So what Paul is saying is, if you've received the mercies of God, you're not to be conformed to this world. You're not to be pulled away like that. I think this tension, this being pulled by the spirit of the world around us, is particularly challenging for our students. And I'm especially thinking of our middle school and high school and college students. Because there's not only the pull of the world, the culture around you, which is so great, particularly at that age, there's the added component of peer pressure which makes it even more challenging, I think. And so, I, I just want to say a few things this morning, especially directed toward our students. A number of you um, will be headed out to college in a few weeks. Maybe you're starting as a freshman this year. And uh, whether you're headed to college, or you're headed to middle school or high school, I would say this. One of the most important things you can do is to find a group of Christian friends, strong Christian friends, to walk with you through life during your years at school. I've observed a lot of college students over the years. 
that have left our church and gone off to college. And in cases where there is good connection with a strong fellowship, those years tend to be years of great spiritual growth, regardless what school you go to, regardless what courses you take, because your friends, your peers are helping you grow in faith. So I would urge you toward that. Seek out a strong nucleus of friends who can help you walk in the will of God. Number two, whether you're headed to college, you're headed to middle school or high school, I want to highly recommend that you set some standards for yourself in your time with God, maybe even in consultation with some strong Christian friends or, or your parents. Set some standards for yourself so that you know when you're going to say no. And don't wait until you're in the environment of temptation surrounded by peer pressure to make those decisions. What I mean is this. Decide ahead of time when you're going to say no to a certain type of entertainment. Decide when you're going to walk away from the screen and not watch what everybody else is watching on the screen. Decide when you're at a party and you realize there's going to be a lot going on that you really don't want to be associated with. When there's a time, even if it means calling mom or dad to come pick you up and say, Mom and Dad, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. Would you come pick me up? And I would hope you parents would be very, very proud of a student who would do that. It's a lot easier to make those kinds of decisions in advance and not when you're in the moment with the added element of peer pressure around you. Know when to say no. And all of us should know where we draw the line on things. Where we draw the line on what we allow into our minds in the way of entertainment what we allow on our screens that we're going to watch. All of us need to make those decisions because we're not to be conformed to this world and without deliberate effort to walk and abide and remain in the will of God, that pull is strong. One more thing I want to share, especially with our students. Words on the screen uh, came from a message, it was a, a podcast I was listening to uh, by a man who uh, was a British teacher of the last century named Derek Prince. And when he said these three things, though they're not direct quotes of Scripture, I thought they were powerful and especially meaningful for those who are wrestling with the pull of the world and perhaps even the pull of peer pressure in life. Know these things because they are true for every follower of Jesus. God loves you more than you love yourself. God understands you better than you understand yourself. And God's will for you is what is best for you. In light of the mercies of God, present your bodies, the entirety of your being to God as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world. But thirdly, be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind so that you can know and do the will of God. Very powerful words, and this is why I urge you to memorize them during the month of August. We're told to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. The key to not being conformed, but to being transformed, has to do with the mind. Our minds are the main arenas of spiritual warfare. The Bible describes Satan the devil as our adversary. The primary place he attacks a believer, follower of Jesus, is in the thought life, thought life in the mind. That's where he brings his temptations, his accusations. It's the arena of spiritual warfare. Even Christians struggle mightily at times with thoughts, with pictures, with ideas, with images that have taken root in the mind. Some of those we've allowed into our minds by things we've watched, videos we've seen, things friends have shared with us. I suspect every one of us in this room would say, yeah, there are things that I either chose to expose myself to or was in a situation where I, I didn't really want to see what I saw, hear what I heard, but it's there. And I've asked God to forgive me, and He has, because He is our forgiving God. And the Bible says He takes our sins and removes them as far as the east is from the west, and He remembers them no more. He's a forgiving God. But, there's no eraser for the mind. There's no delete key that we can press and take all recollection of the events or images or words or things that have been placed into our minds. And we need help in the area of our minds and our thought life. And the good news is there is help and there is hope. For while we can't erase the images of our mind, God has provided a means for our minds to be renewed. And the means that God has provided is a powerful means of cleansing, purifying, healing, encouraging, strengthening, and building of faith. And that means is His Word and the mighty hands of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is spoken of in Scripture as water that washes. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus cleanses His church, His people, with the washing of the water of the Word. And regardless what either by choice or not so much by choice, your mind has been exposed to. There is hope for its renewing by the power of God's Word. The words of Scripture that He breathed out for human beings to write down and that His Holy Spirit even today empowers and uses in the renewing of the mind. 
The key to not being conformed to this world is being transformed by this renewing of the mind. And so, I would point you to Scripture. To read and study it, yes, but more. To memorize it. To contemplate it and reflect upon it. I am grateful beyond words that when I was a college student and went to my first Christian fellowship, and we started little Bible studies written by a man named Bill Bright that we were taught to memorize verses. And when I got out of college and took a self-study Bible course by a man named Derek Prince, every lesson there was scripture to memorize. And I'm grateful to have been taught the value of that process because I've needed it. And we all do. And so I urge you to the regular ongoing practice of memorizing Scripture and reflecting upon it. I try to make it part of my devotional life still just about every day to review memory passages and to reflect upon them, to meditate upon them. We've talked about meditation before, and if you want, want help learning what that is, we've got some little booklets at the Resource Center that are available and they're free on meditating on Scripture. But it's Scripture that God uses to bring about the renewal of the mind. It's Scripture that enables us not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so we can not only discern what the will of God is, we can live it out in such a way that we demonstrate it for other people to see. And we become the light of the world. So as we prepare to take communion, just a few questions in the way of personal application. As we reflect back on these verses. Have I presented all that I am, even my body, in worship and service to God? Worship isn't just singing some songs on Sunday or coming to a worship service. Worship is all of life. And includes the yielding of your very being to God every day of the week. Secondly, do I need to set some clear guidelines for what I'll allow into my mind? Your mind is very precious, and it's precious to God. Maybe you need to set some standards for what you will and will not allow to enter your mind. Thirdly, how am I going to fully, more fully pursue the renewing of my mind? It's like walking against a current. It takes deliberate, sustained effort in this world in which we live to live with a renewed mind. And that effort includes largely meditating on the words of God which have the power to cleanse and to renew our minds. Now this call given us by the Apostle Paul to present our bodies in worship to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed. It all flows out of something. And you remember what it was? It's in light of God's mercies. It's in light of what God has already done for us in securing our salvation through Jesus. All of God's mercies flow to us from the cross of Jesus Christ. It is through his crucifixion, his taking our place on the cross, that we are forgiven and credited with his own righteousness. 
So central is the crucifixion of Jesus to our faith and to our relationship with God that he has given us a way whereby we always can remember it, can reflect upon it. And it's by celebrating what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. On the screen, you'll see some words written by the Apostle Paul to teach us about what it means to take the Lord's Supper. He writes these words. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's a remarkable thing. If you choose to take the bread and the juice in just a moment, you are saying essentially, by faith I have received the benefits of Jesus giving his body on the cross for myself. By faith I have received the benefits of Jesus shedding of his blood on the cross for myself. And then he gives a warning when he writes these words. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Everybody here is welcome to take communion here today. You don't have to be a member of our church at all. But in light of these words, I think it's important that you be in a saving relationship with the Lord. That is, you have actually placed your faith in what Jesus did for you. You've received him as your Lord, as your Savior. You could truly say, Jesus Christ is my Lord. Furthermore, I think it means for those of us who are Christians, as we come to take the Lord's Supper, we examine our lives. There may be some sin we need to confess before God. There may be a person he's calling us to forgive that he brings to mind. So in a moment, we will pass the bread and then the juice and invite you to partake of it. You don't have to wait till everybody else is served. You can take whatever you'd like. And if you're not comfortable taking it, you can just pass it to the person next to you. After you've taken the juice, if you have a need for prayer, and you want to come forward and have some of our elders and others pray for you, just make your way to one of these front rows. Uh, because of the people coming and going in the aisles, we will not pass the basket for the offering today. So be sure when you exit to take your Hey, I'm Here card with you and drop that in the basket. We want to be sure to get those as you exit today. But first, I'd like to pray and do what the passage on the screen says to do. That is to allow some time to examine ourselves. As we end our prayer, I'll invite you to join me in the Apostles' Creed, and it will be uh, visible on the screen. Let's pray together first. Father, we come in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you would prepare us for the celebration of communion. I pray for any here who don't truly know you yet that this would be the day that the Holy Spirit 
opens the eyes of their hearts to the reality that Jesus alone is the way and the truth and the life and you are calling them to place their trust wholly in his work on the cross for them. Father, for each of us, would you allow us now to examine ourselves? Would you bring to mind those things we need to be aware of, whether it's a sin to confess or a person to forgive? Prepare us to take communion in the right way in your eyes, Lord.